This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. The fun new movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem reboots the series. It's an animated film directed by one of the minds behind The Mitchells vs. The Machines with a script co-written by Seth Rogen. I'm Stephen Thompson, and today we are talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is NPR senior editor Bilal Qureshi. Hi, Bilal. Hi, Stephen. Also with us is Vulture TV critic Roxana Haddadi. Hey, Roxana. Hey, how are you? I'm good. And rounding out the panel is Jordan Morris. He's a podcaster and the co-writer of the double Eisner Award-nominated graphic novel, Bubble. Welcome back, Jordan. A good cowabunga to you, sir. (laughs) Cowabunga to everyone. And cowabunga to all. It is great to have all of you here. (laughs) So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles began as a comic book series in 1984 and soon spawned an action figure line and a TV show that ran in syndication for 10 seasons. In 1990, the franchise launched its first film, which was a massive success. And in the decades that followed, there have been sequels and reboots, more TV shows, video games, and tons of merchandise. Now we've got a new anime animated theatrical reboot titled Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. The new film starts out by retelling the turtle's origin story in which a secret ooze that can create genetic mutations slips into the New York City sewers and mutates four baby turtles and a rat named Splinter voiced by Jackie Chan. Splinter raises the turtles in the sewers, teaches them self-defense, and you can start to see how they came to be the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anyway, as they grow into teenagers, our heroes pine for contact with the human world of New York City. Soon they meet a high schooler named April O'Neil, played by Iowa Debris, whom you might recognize from The Bear. She's an aspiring journalist who helps them research a mysterious mutant villain called Superfly, who's voiced by Ice Cube. Much fighting ensues as the turtles attempt to save humanity and just maybe get accepted by the real world along the way. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem was directed by Jeff Rowe, who co-wrote and co-directed the pop culture happy hour favorite, The Mitchells vs. The Machines. The screenplay was co written by Seth Rogen. Yes, that's Seth Rogen. It's in theaters now. Jordan Morris, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? So, uh, worth mentioning, I'm a 41-year-old dude, so I was in the pocket for the, you know, original... bout of turtle mania that swept the nation. I probably asked Santa for a pizza wagon one year. Um, (laughs) And that year was 2021. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, Santa. (laughs) I was so good. I can't believe I didn't get the pizza wagon. So I was into all that stuff when it originally swept the nation. When I've gone back and revisited that stuff, those old cartoons and those old live action movies, the thing I notice is that the turtles are so freaking annoying. They're just these like identical catchphrase machines. Whoa, dude, cowabunga, tubular, rad, rad. (laughs) I think this movie reinvents them really brilliantly. They're not just these one-dimensional catchphrase machines. They're individual people, individual mutants, I guess I should say. (laughs) Individual 
turtle mutants. Individual turtle mutants. And yeah, they, they do a good job of making them each distinct characters. You know, I'm sure this was part of the original pitch for the movie, but like they're teenagers. Their teenage stuff is really pronounced. They they yearn to belong. They all have these dreams that they're dreaming. And the action is super cool. The action is great. There is a scene where they're beating up four individual crime lords, and it kind of cuts back and forth between the fights. And it's one of the coolest fight scenes in a movie in a year that had a John Wick movie and a Mission Impossible movie. It's really, really cool. Sure. And uh, yeah, some great vocal performances from the main cast. I think the main cast is all great. There's a couple of maybe phoned in celebrity cameos where it's clear they had someone in a booth for an hour before they had to go somewhere else. <laughs> but the main cast is all terrific. Sure. Yeah, I was a fan. This worked. It worked for me. Okay. How about you, Bilal? Yeah, and it way, worked for me way more than I expected it would. And I'm also, uh, you know, I don't know if you did get it for Christmas or not, Jordan, but I was an owner of that pizza van, so I was a very happy wow. driver of the van. And lots of, like, cool. Barbies were riding in the van. Thundercats were in the van. So it was a very important <laughs> part of my, of my life. It launched pizzas, Stephen. It launched pizzas from a gun exactly. on the roof. <laughs> I just thought this movie was way more creative than it needed to be, way cooler than it needed to be because we've seen so many different versions of this. I would say that to me, like that fight sequence Jordan you were just talking about is a prime example. It's not only an amazing action sequence, it's almost entirely uh, choreographed to no diggity, which is like also what's <laughs> yeah. amazing from the very beginning of it. The hand-drawn sort of CGI, obviously, but it's meant to recreate the sort of sketchbook feeling of a teenager's sketchbook. And I think the vibe of it, most of it happens at night. The ooze is kind of, you know, glowing on onto these faces. The, the New York skyline is this immersive world. And then you have this, like, soundtrack, which includes a score by Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, which is an amazing score. And again, way more inspired than a movie like this I thought would be. And throughout is, is so much vibe. And I, and I just found that as someone who has known the Turtles and agree with some of what Jordan you were saying about how annoying they could have been, this was a really welcome reintroduction. And, uh, and yeah, one of the most fun experiences I've had at the movies in a long time. So I really enjoyed it. And I know I may not have been the target audience, or maybe I was by being a 40-year-old. If you're a 40-year-old, I think you are part of the target audience. I am the prime audience, right, for it. I guess that's it. But I just felt like I was surrounded in the theater by people who I thought were going to be more the audience, and I came away feeling very, very uh, satisfied and very uh, delivered, too. So I loved it. Well, I got to say, before I get to Roxana, I have to say, during that fight scene where they played No Diggity, I was distracted from the fight scene because the gentleman next to me he and I were both singing the song <laughs> at, at almost full volume because I cannot hear No Diggity and not sing along. It's the law. The needle drops do cater to our demographic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I was so catered to in the needle drops. I'm a little older. We'll get to me in a sec. Roxana, what did you think? Yeah. I mean, I think the entire film is catered to us, to be honest. <laughs> I saw it with a crowd full of kids. It did not seem like the kids were into it. It felt like the parents were into it. It was very much like Barbie mm -hmm. in that I think think it is sort of aiming at our nostalgia and speaking to that, which isn't to say that it's bad. I enjoyed this movie. I echo everyone else in saying I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. 
I was a little skeptical heading into it because, again, like we've had so many different iterations of this franchise. A lot of them are fun. A lot of them are bad, but also fun. But I really liked this. Visually, I think it's really beautiful. It walks the line between being really beautiful and really gross, which I think is fun (laughs) and new. Superfly is disgusting, but also really compelling. There's maybe too much vomit. I'll say it. There's too much vomit. (laughs) Never. I will say that narratively, I was a little bored just because i think the whole teenagers needing to belong look i also was a teenager who needed to belong but i think the movie sort of hits the same notes on that a little bit too repetitively until the third act really feels like it's going somewhere exciting and new and weird but yeah i would say pro i liked it i didn't Mm -hmm. love it steven what about you Yeah, I came down very similarly to Roxana. I think that a lot of films like this, uh, sometimes we'll walk out of the theater and then into this show, and I'll talk about this movie has third act problems, (laughs) where once you get into, you've stopped doing the world building, and then you have to kind of dispense with the core action that needs to take place to resolve the plot, then you start to get into these kind of thudding machinations of fight scenes of the sort that we've seen a million times before, right? And so you say, like, I really liked the world building, but once it kind of gets on rails near the end. This is a critique I feel like I've given four dozen times. For me, this movie inverts that completely. Once it gets into the third act, once you have, as Jordan and Bilal were talking about, these very vivid and exciting fight scenes, and it's really getting into the the meat of the actual conflict, the movie's kind of thrilling to watch. The music is so good. The score is great. I mean, they got like Oscar-winning composers, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, to do the score, and it's fantastic. All these needle drops, not only No Diggity, but Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. I would say that the needle drops are very much in the same vein as like the Spider-Verse movies mm-hmm. where the music is doing tons of great heavy lifting, helping bridge the gap between kids and their parents. I think visually it's so striking and interesting kind of as as you guys have been saying. To me, this movie takes way too long in the build up to that third act. I think the these are not heroes that need their origin story retold. They're teenage mutant ninja <laughs> turtles. You know it. There's ooze involved. We've seen the ooze go down the drain about as many times as we've seen Uncle Ben get shot at this point. I was going <laughs> to say, it's the equivalent of Uncle Ben biting it over mm-hmm. and over and over again in the 6,000 Spider-Man movies that exist. I'm not as interested in the teen angst. I'm interested in turtles beating people up. <laughs> That's what I want. I want the turtle mayhem. Get to the mutant mayhem. But I, I want to kind of to get to kind of the next subject I want to talk about here. I loved Ice Cube's yeah, best. Yeah. I loved his performance as this villain, as Superfly, who is, we should note, a very big and strong <laughs> mutant housefly who talks like Ice Cube. So look, look, look. That same ooze made me, okay? My dad, Baxter Stockman, he's the one who dumped the ooze down the drain, baby. So technically, we cousins. And I feel like he he is bringing an energy to this film that I think really keeps it sounding vital, right? Yeah, these these movies have villain problems a lot, I think, mm-hmm. and that the villains can kind of just be these generic 
portal openers or gem stealers or whatever. And, you know, he has a wound. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt mutants hurt <laughs> mutants. Uh, Ice Cube does a great job. And, yeah, and I, I mentioned that, you know, there's a couple of vocal cameos that feel a little phoned in, feel a little rushed. But, gosh, not this. I mean, it's more than a cameo. He's a main character. But, like, he's terrific. And it could seem like a wacko little piece of stunt casting. But it's, like... One of the better vocal performances in a movie that has a lot of good ones. I just wanted to say, I, I, the thing I slightly disagree with you on, Stephen, and maybe Roxanne as well, is that I found the mayhem part of it was actually my least favorite part of it because it felt a little bit like <laughs> like a Fast and the Furious movie Whoa. at the end where like, everything is colliding <laughs> into each other. But It's a little chaotic, but I'm, I'm still disagreeing with you. I, I'm going to go there. I mean, we <laughs> can have a difference good. of opinion. You know, they're different, they're different mutants for different, <laughs> different tastes. But I, I think the thing I was going to say is what I loved about the Ice Cube introduction, too, is like the setting of this world building that happened in the first two thirds. Some of it perhaps is familiar, but when they meet Ice Cube amid these like warehouses late at night and it's this kind of like introduction to his henchmen and his whole story and they all go bowling together. <laughs> I did like that. Those, those kinds of scenes to me were where this movie was just like weird in a really fun way and unexpected and you felt like you got to know some of these characters. I have to say like where my age is showing and where the nostalgia maybe doesn't a- appeal as much as when it's like so much is thrown at you and you can't even keep the like characters apart. I felt like some of the storytelling that happened in that and all the other characters and the henchmen that you're introduced to, henchwomen as well, <laughs> it was done so well. And I think that Ice Cube performance, like his wound, to Jordan, your point, I really felt it. And so when he calls them sometimes, you know, punk-ass tortoises. It's, like, really one of the <laughs> the great sort of, like, lines to me of the, of summer movies that I've seen. I, I thought that the casting here is just amazing. And part of, again, the many creative decisions that were made here that, I, again, much better than they needed to be. But I think my quibble with all of this, the voice performance is really good. I think there are very smart updates as to who the enemies are. But his whole plan to me, again, felt like a Marvel villain retread. So there was part of it that felt like very world ending sure. in a way that I don't necessarily think this franchise is about. So maybe maybe that's my inability to go with the update. <laughs> it was very Magneto also, right? Oh, like, yeah. like sure. I'm going to turn the mutantism again around and yeah, be the wounded mutant. Yeah. So I loved the vocal performance, but the explanation of the plan, I was like, oh, yeah. okay. There was something about it that just felt too maybe not serious is probably not the right word but we're doing so many exciting things in this film to update this world but then it felt like we were going into like another world to your point Bilal like going into Fast and Furious going into the MCU <laughs> sort of losing the core a little bit of what this franchise is uh, I mean I'm quibbling here you know like there's a lot to like there are just also some parts where I was like oh I don't know if that fits exactly the way I thought it would yeah I mean I don't know I had I, 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 to debate you further. I mean, the Marvel villain that I was reminded of a little bit was Killmonger. Mm, yeah. yeah, of course. It's a, a villain who has a very good point. Yeah. But a plan you just can't get behind. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I was into it. <laughs> I just don't necessarily think it made sense in like this movie, which is also all about like, mm. will high schoolers like us? It, it sort of <laughs> felt like the stakes were a little bit imbalanced, I thought. Right. Yeah, and I think we have to appreciate, among the voice performances, the performance of Avaya Adebri as April O'Neil. She's terrific. Uh, yeah, they make her a teenager, which I don't think I've seen in any Turtles thing, which is also great that 
you have these turtles that are such teen boys and you can have a teen girl's perspective, which is great. But also because baked into the DNA of this relationship is the turtles kind of having a crush on her. It's nice that she's not an adult. It's nice that (laughs) it's not an adult to be. We all (laughs) feel a little less icky when they flirt with each other. So that that was nice, too. What did you think of Jackie Chan as Splinter? I'm curious because that was another. Was that feel like one of the stunt casting choices? No, that was so good. He was great. I loved it too. Yeah. No, he was great. He's great. Yeah. And they call him Dad. They call, I, I don't think I've seen that in any Turtles thing. They don't call him Master Splinter. They call him Dad. Like he's their adopted father. It's cute. I'm getting misty. Oh my god. I thought that was really emotionally. Really emotionally well done. I mean, I do wonder, is he doing like the glasses crafting and the braces <laughs> application? I know, one of them t- has braces. It's the funniest choice. And they don't explain <laughs> it. <laughs> His, uh, look, becoming a rat-human-hybrid mutant gives you orthodontic <laughs> skills that we can only imagine. He was great, I thought. Again, I just think it's repetitive. I don't think emotionally it's wrong for them to want to belong. I just thought that part of the film maybe didn't need a full hour. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a it's a pastiche. It's a patchwork. At some point they go to watch Ferris Bueller. And I think that's a little Mm -hmm. tip off of like, hey, we're doing one of these. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, there is stuff you've seen before. I think there's a moment where all the New Yorkers kind of rally around the turtles to help them. That kind of feels like those Mm Raimi Spider-Man movies. I mean, we talked about Jackie Chan as the dad that, that had many echoes of Kung Fu Panda. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A, a, a film trilogy near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. There are certainly lots of echoes of things mm-hmm. we've seen before, but I do think there's there's novelty to this film, though. But this didn't look like a bunch of movies I've seen before. Um, here's something I was wondering as I was watching. They really go to great lengths to make them not just seem like teenagers, but like current teenagers in 2023, like – They say sus a lot. There's a BTS reference. Listen, I'm a man in my 40s. Uh, I I have nary a child. I wonder if that stuff would ring true to modern kids or if it would seem sweaty in the same way that, like, Cowabunga did when we were kids. You know, I I wonder if anyone has talked to any younger people who have seen this, any actual teenagers. Yeah, I wonder if that stuff – would feel cool to them or if it seems like it's old already. You know, talk to teenagers. Absolutely not. I don't do that. (laughs) Why would you? (laughs) But just for my own reaction, I really dislike that stuff. Mm. I hate like very timely references and scripts. I think you don't need that kind of thing to make characters relatable. I will take Cowabunga any day over like a, I don't know, like a pop culture reference from right now. You to ant. <laughs> you to ant. <laughs> I think you can show who a character is without specifically name dropping that sort of stuff. But I don't know how it worked for everyone else. Stephen Bilal, if you guys had certain reactions to that stuff. I went alone. My kids are 19 and 22 and did not have the turtles in their pop cultural DNA. And I am a 51-year-old man, actually, today. Oh, Oh, happy birthday. And uh, I aged out of the original round of turtles. So for me, I'm a newborn baby. Just crawling out of the ooze for the first time. (laughs) Just crawling out of the ooze for the first time. And to me, I didn't find that stuff too sweaty. And I'm often distracted by... 
like that pop culture carbon dating that can really make movies harder to revisit and enjoy years later. I didn't feel like this had that problem. I'll be curious when I inevitably wind up revisiting it on streaming because it is fun. Uh, Of those pop culture references, the BTS joke got the biggest pop in my theater. Mm -hmm. That was very well received by my theater. But um, yeah, the other (laughs) stuff kind of people were hotter and colder on. And and I've sent a recommendation to my 12-year-old nephew to be like, you got to go see this. And he has not texted me back still. So I don't know what that says about how. Very sus. Very sus, Bilal. (laughs) Exactly. So I don't know what to make of that. So Uh, You probably should have pinged him on Discord or Instagram (laughs) instant messenger. Age age is really the theme here. I don't know. TikTok. I don't know what the kids use. (laughs) Or another app that none of us have heard of yet. Your kid is like, why is my uncle texting me? (laughs) (laughs) It's like sending a telegram. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. What, carry a pigeon? From the Ninja Turtles movie theater screening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where do I see it? (laughs) All right. Well, we want to know what you think about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me. And I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for our favorite segment of This Week and Every Week, What is Making Us Happy This Week. Jordan Morris, what's making you happy this week, buddy? Yes, uh, we're talking about a comic book property, so I will recommend a comic book. Bilal, you mentioned Magneto earlier. Um, I I take it perhaps you're an X-Men fan? (laughs) Mayhem. So uh, I read a great X-Men comic book recently called X-Terminators, X-Terminators. This is by Leah Williams and Carlos Gomez. It is a pretty self-contained X-Men romp. Dazzler, you you all know Daz. We all know Dazzler, everybody's favorite mutant. <laughs> she breaks up with her boyfriend. Her and her friends go out drinking. The boyfriend shows up at the bar. It turns out he was a vampire the whole time. They get taken to an underground fighting ring. At some point, monster trucks get involved. It's really really crazy. It's really really fun. Gorgeous art. And it has something that maybe you don't see a lot in kind of modern superhero comics, which is hard jokes. It is very, very funny. You don't need to know a ton about X-Men continuity to appreciate it. It is just a hoot. It's the most fun I've had reading comics in a long time. It's X-Terminators 
by Leah Williams and Carlos Gomez. Wonderful. Thank you, Jordan Morris. Roxana Haddadi, what's making you happy this week? What's making me happy this week is the third season of The Righteous Gemstones on HBO. Mm-hmm. Yes. It recently finished its third season, so I'm talking about the entirety of the show. But I really love Danny McBride. I'll just say it. I think his comedies are very funny. Eastbound and Down, Vice Principals, and now Righteous Gemstones. It is a series about a televangelist family who obviously are not as pious or religious or faithful (laughs) as they should be for what they're doing for their careers. It's been compared a lot to Succession in that the three siblings played by McBride, Edie Patterson, and Adam Devine fight and insult each other and generally sort of hate each other, but also love each other, of course. And this third season, I think, just did a really good job expanding the world, reiterating the idea that I think is fundamental to this show, which is that to be faithful is to be empathetic and to be selfless. And I just really enjoyed it. I interviewed Walton Goggins about this season. Oh, he's so good. And he's one of my favorite actors working today. And he does such a good job as Uncle Baby Billy. So yeah, that's uh, that's what's making me happy this week. The Danny McBride TV universe, and in particular, The Righteous Gemstones. Thank you, Roxana. Bilal Qureshi, what's making you happy this week? Uh, what's making me happy this week um, is an album by the band Gabriels um, called Angels and Queens, which is their first full-length album. Um, when I'm not listening to the Ninja Turtles soundtrack, this has been an album that I've <laughs> I've been really, really connecting with. And they've, had, they've released some EPs. They're British-American trio. The lead singer is this amazing singer from Los Angeles, Jacob Lusk. You know, it's been described as sort of neo-soul by some critics, but it strikes me as like... An album that's also gospel, also jazz, amazing. And um, the song The Great Wind is one of the songs from the album that I really love. And it's otherwise a quite kind of brooding and heavy record, but this is a a quite optimistic, triumphant kind of song. And um, yeah, so that's the band Gabriel's and their and their first full length album, Angels and Queens. Thanks very much, Bilal. So sadly, for the second week in a row, what I'm going to talk about in this segment is something that's actually making me very, very sad, which is the death of a uh, of a favorite entertainer. And last week it was Sinead O'Connor, and this week it's Paul Rubens, uh, who died on Sunday of cancer. He was 70, obviously best known for creating and portraying the character of Pee Wee Herman. And I just cannot overstate how much a part of my childhood, my kids' childhood, and kind of, I feel like, a collective cultural childhood, Paul Rubens was um, and Pee Wee Herman was. It's very hard to talk about that legacy and not kind of constantly alternate or conflate those two names. And thinking about Pee Wee Herman having died is just is just extremely painful. Uh, the art that he made, uh, particularly Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but also particularly Pee-wee's Playhouse, the Pee-wee's Playhouse Christmas special in all its uh, in all its gorgeously bonkers queerness, has just become such a big part of the pop cultural firmament of my family. In my, you know, I was talking to my daughter about him, and she was saying that she became friends with her fifth grade best friend because their favorite movie was Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and they were the only kids in class 
class who where that was their favorite movie. And she was talking about it as a discovery for her. Mm. As Even though he was an extraordinarily mainstream figure, the art that he was making was so weird that it was a discovery for you, no matter how famous it was. A lot of things about me you don't know anything about, Daddy. Things you wouldn't understand. Things you couldn't understand. Things you shouldn't understand. I don't understand. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, Daddy. A rebel. And I I think that is so special. And, you know, Glenn Weldon did a gorgeous piece of writing kind of talking about how he represented childhood in a, a way that was really different from a lot of other depictions of childhood, kind of capturing not only the sense of wonder and playfulness, but also the obnoxiousness that I think is so, is so incredibly endearing. Exhibit B. Another photograph. What's missing from this picture? It's just me. Without my bike! Is this something you could share with the rest of us, Amazing Larry? Yeah, so so while it's, you know, it's hard to talk about Paul Rubin's death as something that's making me happy this week, it has been a pleasure to go back and revisit his best work, to to rewatch Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which is just such a funny movie, but also to like dig up those Pee-wee's Playhouse. There are tons of episodes. They did five seasons and a Christmas special, and they're so fun and so strange and so silly and so gorgeously bonkers to look at. I really highly recommend, if you can, take a little time this weekend and revisit some of his work. There's just so much joy and silliness and strangeness in it. It's just so loud and weird. And for all of us who grew up loud and weird, uh, we just owe him such a huge debt of gratitude. And I'm so grateful that we had him. If you want links for what we recommended, plus more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Roxana Haddadi, Jordan Morris, Bilal Qureshi, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks. This was a blast. Thank you so much, Jan. Thank you. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and Mike Katzif and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.